I'm Ruma Tenbrink, and welcome to the Children's Bedtime Stories podcast for adults. I am so excited to be reading to you my first book this evening. I really hope you enjoy this, and I hope it helps you fall asleep in a beautiful slumber and take you to a faraway land. Thank you so, so much for listening. World-renowned musician, environmentalist, and humanitarian Dave Matthews, in collaboration with popular children's book author Cleet Barrett-Smith, has conjured an exciting and poignant fantasy about a girl who must confront her past mistakes before she can save her peaceful forest community from a gigantic threat. I am honored to read to you, If We Were Giants, Little Voices Can Have a Huge Impact. Let joy begin as we read Part 1, The Volcano. I found chapter 6 to be quite the nail-biter. As you recall, Tico reached wildly for Kira, but he was not nearly quick enough, and he plunged down into the middle of the camp. Pretty scary stuff. So we are on, still on part 1, the volcano, chapter 7. Kira watched in horror as Tico fell to the forest floor in a heap. Every head in camp snapped around to look at him. Run! She desperately wanted to shout to him, but the words stuck in her throat. Tico didn't need any prompting. He bounced back up, thanked the gods nothing was broken, and dashed away into the darkest part of the forest. But he was no match for this group of grown-ups, especially since they had clearly been trained for battle. The camp moved like an individual unit, fanning out to cut off his retreat. The warriors covering so much ground with each step of those long strides. Tico cried out in surprise as he looked up and saw a towering wall of warriors in front of him. He nimbly switched directions and jumped over a log to light out for another part of the woods, but the wall shifted and blocked him again. While he managed to make it several yards away from the spot where he had first landed, Kira watched in silent horror as her little brother was quickly surrounded. What have I done? Kira's first instinct was to let go of the branch and land down there with him, do whatever she could to protect her little brother. But that would be foolish. What could she possibly do against Red Streak with his cruel lash and clothing that seemed designed to protect him from a leopard attack? To say nothing of all his followers so she could only observe helplessly as Redstreak pushed his way through the crowd to where Tico was cowering in terror. Hands on hips, 
The big man loomed over her brother. He reached down, grabbed Tico by the scruff of his neck, and easily lifted him to his feet with one hand. Redstreak shouted some strange words into her little brother's face, and then gestured overhead at the canopy of branches. How many? In trees! Several of the warriors craned their necks to scan the branches above. Kira was suddenly very glad that Tico had been able to make it so far from the spot where he landed, or they would all be looking directly up at her right now. Still, she knew she wasn't safe. Kira carefully used both hands to hoist herself up and over the branch she was gripping. Then she slowly stood on trembling legs and stepped around to the other side of the thick trunk, concealing herself from the great circle of warriors. She peered around the trunk to take measure of the situation. Answer! Redstreak thundered. He drew back his arm as if to deliver a backhanded slap to the small, trembling figure in front of him. Kira covered her mouth to stifle a gasp as Tico dropped to his knees and covered his head with both hands. This huge man could kill her little brother with one blow, no question. Something broke inside of Kira. She had to do something, now, but what? She could feel the seconds racing past her, chance of helping Tico before they tied him up, too, or worse, much worse, slipping away. Her chest felt squeezed, almost shut, like she could hardly force in a breath. Gripping the branch so tightly that the bark cut into her skin, Kira had enough presence of mind left to try something that Paja had taught her. She closed her eyes, took a deep breath, and held it. She pictured her all-consuming panic as a great cloud and mentally compressed it until it was just a little ball in her chest. As she let out a long, controlled breath, she imagined the ball floating away on her breath and disappearing into the forest. It worked. The fog lifted and she could think again. She snapped open her eyes and scanned the camp, looking for any kind of advantage. And because she was a bit calmer now, she was able to realize that the attention of the entire camp had shifted to Tico. The Nafalu prisoner, tied securely to the tree, had been forgotten for the time being. That's when she got an idea. The use of force was not an option, obviously. She would have to do something sneakier. Having a plan, even a desperate one, helped to further calm her nerves. It also helped when Yellow Grass made his way through the crowd and into the clearing where Redstreak was threatening her brother. He stepped past the huge warrior and helped Tico get back up to his feet. Sneering, Redstreak wielded that cruel silver weapon high over his head. But after a pointed look from Yellowgrass, he turned it upside down and jammed it into the ground close to the boy. The handle stretched above her brother's head. Yellowgrass got down on one knee. Are you from village? Nafalu? The warrior pointed to the north. 
Tico shook his head. Don't tell, don't tell, don't tell, Kira pleaded silently. No? Hmm? Where you live? Where your people? Kira's heart stopped. Tico didn't even shake his head this time. He just set his jaw and glared back at the warriors in front of him. Good boy, thought Kira. Red Street grunted in frustration and pushed Yellowgrass out of the way. Answer, now, how many in forest? The command came out almost conversationally, hardly more than a whisper, but Kira could hear the menace behind it, as sharp as the weapon that was mere inches from Tico's face. Her brother just silently stood his ground. At this show of defiance, Red Street glared at yellow grass and reached for his weapon, but the fair-haired warrior stepped closer to Tico. Please, little one, talk to us. The two warriors continued their interrogation, but Kira was no longer watching. The window for her being able to be useful was rapidly closing. Racing along the branch, she leapt to a neighboring tree climbed through the thick limbs there, and jumped to the next tree. In this way, she circled over the heads of the warriors below, making her way toward the captive. When she reached his tree, she scrambled down the back of it to the ropes that were binding his arms. Wrapping her legs around the trunk, she glanced quickly at the gathering of warriors to make certain Tika was still unhurt and holding their attention. Then she whispered to the prisoner, Hey, up here! Startled, the poor man from Nafalu twisted his neck to look at her. Kira put a finger over her lips to make sure he didn't cry out. When he had recovered from the shock of seeing a young girl appear from the dark canopy of the forest, she went on, If I free you, will you do a favor for me? The man nodded enthusiastically, eyes wide. Kira fished out her cutting stone and furiously went to work on the rope that held his right arm above his head. She continued to whisper as she sawed, As soon as you can, start running to your village. Warn them. The man wriggled his wrist free as the rope fell. Kira started in on the bonds, lashing his other hand to the tree. But here is the favor. Count to a hundred as you run. When you reach the end, stop in your tracks, scream as loud as you can, and then take off running again. Will you do this? The man gulped, but silently nodded. Kira released both of his hands and then dropped to the ground to work on freeing his left ankle. The man stooped over to untie the right. As her cutting stone ate away at the thick rope, she kept one eye trained on the group of men surrounding Tico. Oh, dear gods, no. Red Streak was now screaming at Tico, but that wasn't what suddenly had her heart in an icy grip. It was yellow grass. His gray head was turned, and he was looking directly at her. There was no use running, nothing she could do, so she redoubled her efforts and sawed as quickly as she could. Then suddenly the man was free. 
and when she looked back at the group, what was happening? Yellowgrass had not raised the alarm. He had turned his attention back to Redstreak and her little brother. But she knew he had seen her. She would have staked her life on it. The Nafalu prisoner jolted her out of her jumbled thoughts. Oh, thank you. May the gods bless you. I must go, Kira whispered fiercely, showing him in the direction of his village. Just remember our deal. The man nodded once and stealthily took off through the forest. There was no time for his words of thanks. Besides, Kira knew that she didn't really deserve them anyway. She had untied the man more for Tico's sake than his own. Kira looped a coil of rope over her shoulder and scurried her way up the tree trunk again, counting in her head. Fifteen, sixteen, seventeen. Show us you are big warrior. Below her, Red Streak was trying a new tactic with her brother. The man grabbed the handle of his weapon and pulled it out of the dirt. He swung it with ease over Tico's head. The boy trying to be brave and stand still as the silver blade whistled through the night air, just barely missing him. Yellowgrass had backed up to a safe distance, but was keeping a steady eye on the proceedings, and he still had not raised the alarm. Twenty-four, twenty-five, twenty-six. Kira scooched across a thick tree branch, trying to balance her desperate need for haste with an even greater need to be silent. Redstreak stopped slashing the air with his weapon. He brought it down and carefully holding the blade with both hands, presented it to Tico, handle first with a formal bow. You try, big warrior. Forty-one, forty-two, forty-three. Tico looked warily at Redstreak, unmoving, until the big man thumped him in the chest with the handle. You hear me? He growled. Tico grabbed it with both hands, but as soon as Redstreak let go of the blade, the weapon fell to the dirt. Tico staggered to his knees. Raucous laughter erupted from Redstreak's platoon of fighters, but Tico planted the point in the dirt again, climbed hand over hand along the weapon's handle to get back up, placed his feet apart, braced himself, and slowly raised the weapon. Fifty-nine, sixty, sixty-one. Kira inched across a limb, so focused on being quiet that she was holding her breath. She maneuvered into position directly above Redstreak and her brother. Moving as quickly as she dared, she looped one end of the rope around the branch and fastened it with a knot that Paja had taught her. Below, Tico grunted, shifting his hips and shoulders as he swung the weapon at Redstreak with all of his might. The hulking man took a surprise step back, but easily got a thick leather boot, up in time to kick the heavy instrument out of Tico's hands. Yellowgrass bent and picked up the weapon. Kira positioned the rope as carefully as she could. There would only be one shot at pulling this off. Eighty-three, eighty-four... Eighty-five? Ah! There was a scream in the distance, but this one was defiant, not pained. That guy must have been a fast counter. 
Every head in the camp, including red streaks, snapped toward the source of the noise. At that exact moment, Kira let the rope fall. It dangled just in front of Tico's face, a perfect drop. Tico's head craned up at the rope and Kira made frantic gestures for him to grab it. There wouldn't have been enough time for Tico to climb. He would have been noticed and plucked off the rope immediately had Yellowgrass not yelled and pointed in the direction of the screen. He rallied everyone, including Redstreak, to pursue the escaped prisoner. Hurry! Kira hissed fiercely as Tico took the rope with both hands, wrapped his knees around it, and started clambering up. Red Streak was a few yards away when he automatically reached for his weapon. Realizing he'd left it behind, he turned back to his little spy and... Arg! There was a cry of surprised rage as the big warrior spotted Tico halfway up the rope. He dashed over and Kira saw that Tico wasn't going to make it. He wasn't high enough. She hooked her knees around the tree branch and let herself fall upside down, her hands reaching for Tico as her hair hung in her face, obscuring her view and making the panic flood back into her mind. Redstreak jumped up, his fingers grasping at Tico's foot. Tico let go of the rope and lunged for Kira's hands, grabbing them tightly. He latched on, and the momentum sent him sailing through the air, his sister's arms acting as a swing. Kira gripped the tree with the back of her knees, wincing in pain as her legs twisted around the branch and the rough bark rubbed patches of skin right off. Tico slammed into another branch, let go of Kira's hands, and hooked his armpits over the limb. He was out of reach, at least for the moment. Redstreak had missed Tico's foot, but he grabbed the rope and began to hoist himself up, his boots climbing the trunk. Kira, still dangling upside down and swinging back in his direction, was only a few feet away from his powerful hands. But she heard the branch start to crack under his weight as she swung backward, she flailed out with her hands and grasped at another limb. Taking one arm off the rope, Redstreak lunged for Kira. He came mere inches from reaching her leg, and the branch broke. Kira, her heart racing, watched as Redstreak's eyes went wide. He seemed to hang suspended in the air before he dropped and crashed to the forest floor, landing squarely on his back. For an agonizing moment, Redstreak and Kira were locked in a death gaze. She could feel anger radiating from him like heat waves off a desert rock. Redstreak tried to summon his clan, but the wind had been knocked out of him. Kira reacted quickly. She hopped up on the limb, raced over to Tico, grabbed him by the hand and pulled him higher up the tree until they were totally concealed by the foliage. Redstreak got his voice back and started shouting for his warriors to help. Or he may have been cursing. Kira had no way of knowing. A few men ran back and tried to scramble up into the trees after them, but their bulky clothing and the awkward heavy weapons, still belted to their waists, made climbing difficult. Plus, even with their long limbs, they looked awkward and unfamiliar with climbing. Kira knew that there were very few trees in the desert. She felt a quick burst of confidence that she and Tico 
being much lighter and more nimble, had the advantage. Come with me, she whispered fiercely, yanking her brother along a thick and sturdy branch. He followed without a word. Kira had learned from her experiences in outside woods that she could travel more quickly above the forest floor than people could on the ground, where they would run into brush, logs, swampy patches, and other obstacles. So they fled through the middle of the trees, the horrible sounds of the camp fading behind them. As they neared the plains, the noise dwindling to nothing, Kira finally felt that they could stop for a moment. She turned to Tiko and asked breathlessly, Why did you come to me when I told you not to? Tiko's lip trembled as he looked at her with big, moist eyes. I heard bad noises, he said, and I wanted to protect you. Kira couldn't be angry with him for that. You truly are a bird brain, but I love you. They made their way through one last screen of trees and finally spotted the ocean of wild grass that stood between them and their home. Now follow me. We need to run faster and farther than we've ever run before. They dropped from branch to branch until they were back on the ground. Then they entered the plains in the tallest patch of grass they could find and disappeared into the night. Wow, that is the end of chapter seven and my heart is racing. That was extremely exciting. And there is an extra part to this chapter that I am going to read now. And I believe it is one of the warriors that is reading this part. Here it goes. By God, the girl was fast. Kobar the Red had not been forced to run this far in a long time. He shook his head in disgust as he pounded through the tall grass in heavy boots he wasn't accustomed to. Back home, there were horses when someone needed to cover this kind of distance. It was a good thing this land was so rich with resources. Definitely made the whole venture worth it, no question. But still, he missed having a horse. At least he had his hound. He wouldn't have been able to track these kids otherwise, because they did not slow or tire. The dog strained at his leash, practically dragging him right across the plains. The beast might be simple, but at least it was loyal. Could he say the same for Decker, his so-called right-hand man? That one seemed to be going soft on these natives. Strange that the kids were running in the opposite direction of the village. Were they confused? Or were they trying to throw him off track? He had to admit they were wily little devils, freeing his captive when his back was turned. Now they were making a beeline straight for the dormant volcano. Were they just running in blind panic? Every native in every village for miles around was as superstitious as hellfire about that place. Thought it could erupt at any time and kept a healthy distance always. Kobar pulled sharply on the leash before his dog could break through the overgrown grass 
into the open ground at the base of the volcano. He squatted, stroking the slavering beast with his long gray fingers and talking soothingly to keep it quiet. Then he peeked his head through the screen of grass. He watched for a bit, tracking the children as they made their way up the steep and craggy mountain. He couldn't believe how fast they were, still moving, after all that climbing and running. And then, in a blink, they were gone. One moment they were winding through a series of switchbacks, and the next moment they couldn't be seen. It didn't make sense unless... Kobar scratched his leathery chin. The two little ones were well fed. That much was certain, with clothing that, primitive though it might have been, was made with some skill. These were no feral strays. These kids belonged to a community. He stared up at the crater for several minutes, bright eyes piercing through the darkness. He shook his head slowly. It couldn't be, could it? But really, there was no other answer. He chuckled to himself. The dog turned to look at him and started to whimper. Korbar would never have guessed that any of these natives were clever enough. But they had made a nest within the crater walls. Hidden away like that, there was no telling what kind of paradise might be inside. He let his eyes drift over the mountain. This was a much bigger operation than that little village by the waterfall. That place didn't seem worth the trouble now. He spent a long time marking the spot where the kids had disappeared. Memorizing the identifying features of the landscape that would lead him right back to the doorstep. First, he would go back and fetch some help. Soldiers he could count on. He was going to need it because there might be all manner of treasure stashed away in that volcano. Kobar the Red couldn't wait to find out. Another cliffhanger here at the end of chapter 7. And I just wanted to add, if you are enjoying my children's bedtime story podcast for adults, I would love it if you could leave me a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps young channels like mine get noticed. Again, I would really appreciate it. And thank you so, so much for listening.